0: Glad to be here. uh, Hopefully it's not showing up on the camera, but the glow from my father-son camp at uh, Kentucky this past weekend, hopefully it's not reflecting too much. You guys can still see. Okay. Um, Boo, hiss, I know. Um, Anyway, I'm glad to be back. Uh, Glad to be here with you guys as we continue our series, Vacation Bible Stories for Grown-Ups. This has been a fun study as we are also using that in our adult class, kind of bridging the gaps between these stories. Um, I learned very quickly that in our combined class, I've got to be ready for some hard-hitting questions um, from people. So uh, hopefully you can join us next Sunday in the Wortham building for a combined class that looks at how these stories connect through the Old Testament. Now, one Christmas as a kid, I wanted one particular thing. I wanted gold chains. I know. I was cool. Hang on, there's a story here. I knew that if I asked everyone in my immediate and extended family for one particular gift, that I could hedge the bets and get a lot of them. Because I didn't want just one chain, I wanted multiple chains. Um, I had a plan to be pretty cool, and um, as you can tell, worked out. But. So I asked everyone in my family for gold chains. My Aunt Leslie, Aunt Beth my grandmother, anybody that would listen. I said, I, all I want for Christmas is a cool gold chain. And I was like, I want you to pick it, though. I don't want you to like, like, you can choose what chain you give me. And so some family members ended up giving me just like a regular plain gold chain. Other people gave me a like, kind of a baseball uh, bats that were crossed, like kind of theme, theme to what I enjoyed as a kid playing baseball. Uh, And I, I got several other gold chains. Now, the reason I did this is because I grew up loving baseball. It was the sport that I loved more than any other sport. And some of my biggest heroes in baseball wore multiple gold chains when they would hit. And so in my brain, I associated being a good hitter, a good baseball player with wearing multiple chains. I ignored training and all those important elements and thought, it's the chains. That's what does it. And so this one particular Christmas, I got probably four to five different gold chains. And I was ecstatic. I thought, yes, Santa is real. The dreams have come true. This next baseball season, home run city, this guy. And I decided to wear these chains everywhere. Now, I grew up in a very large family. My dad's family had, my dad had six brothers and sisters um, all of them had children. all you know, it's huge Christmas anytime that we'd go to uh, the or Christmas. And likely, as you're guessing out of the theme of this story, uh, I was ridiculed by every uncle that I had. And that Christmas is the Christmas that I learned about Mr. T. Um, because, as I walked into Christmas, My uncles, who I believed loved me and cherished our relationships, began mocking me and saying, everyone watch out, Mr. T has shown up to Christmas. It was the first time at a Christmas that I really was like embarrassed um, because one, I was really unaware as an eight-year-old who Mr. T was, um, but more so, why were they mocking me? Why were they saying, Mr. T is here? Laugh, laugh, ha ha. And so I, I tell this story about this is a picture of me, not Mr. T, by the way. Um, as, I, as I tell this story about me understanding who Mr. T was and learning the consequences of wearing a lot of gold chains, I'm tying that into our story this morning that begins in Genesis chapter 37 the coat of many colors. A lot of times, our outward elements, like gold chains, send a signal to people. I was wearing gold chains because I wanted to elude this confidence that I was an like, excellent baseball player. And sometimes we do that with like shirts, clothing, whatever. But in the context of Genesis 37, there's this coat of many colors that Joseph has. And it represents, one, who he is, who he thinks he is, but also who his father believes that he is. But the story of Joseph begins in verse 2. Joseph a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, and his, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now the Hebrew word here is tattle-telling. Um, and I, I'm, I'm making light of this to kind of lean into the story, because we really like to tell kids the story of the coat of many colors. It's a, it's a pretty popular VBS childrens theme story. There's a kid who's a favorite. He gets a pretty sweet coat from his dad. But we really, really don't like to tell a lot of the details in the story because it goes off the rails pretty fast. And it starts here in verse 2, where the first kind of element of Joseph that we get in the story is that he tells on his brothers. Now, I don't know what your family life was like growing up. I can tell you what it's like to have two small children that tattletale on each other constantly. No one wins. If you're tattletaling on the little things, no one wins. Now, we don't know specifically what Joseph was telling on. Likely, they were not paying attention to the flock. Uh, Likely, they were maybe doing something wrong in regards to how they were to tend to these animals. But whatever it was, it was a bad report. And Joseph immediately went to his dad, Jacob, and said, hey, the other brothers, they're doing bad things. So the next passage here, let's go to the next slide. Now, Israel, Jacob, Love Joseph more than any of his other sons. If you don't get anything else in this sermon, this should tell you, this particular verse shows you when things were going bad, right? That we've included this. We've said the secret part out loud that Jacob has a favorite kid. So this is now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. But he was also the son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Let's go to the next slide real quick. We don't know exactly what this robe looked like. We believe that the robe had a lot of colors in it. The the usage of multiple colors would have meant the usage of multiple dyes, which would have made it to be a difficult thing to make, but also an expensive, expensive purchase because dyes were not cheap. And so you get this element here that Joseph has spent a lot of money and a lot of resources On a robe for one of his kids. Think about that for just a second. For one of his kids, Joseph went above and beyond, or Jacob went above and beyond to give Joseph something that he didn't give anyone else. So go back to three and four for me. Uh, Thank you. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. The Hebrew here is that they could not say shalom to him. Shalom is this term of of blessing and affection. It's it's a simple term that you just kind of do instinctively because you care about another person. And so what the, the Hebrew is really saying is they couldn't even show basic human decency to Joseph. That is how much they hated this kid. It was tearing them up inside. They couldn't stand him. But that's not all that Joseph does. Verse 5 says that Joseph had a dream. Not a bad start, but let's read the rest of it. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, we're reading a little bit ahead, but just think for a moment that you're hearing this story as it's told, as they told it kind of in the old times. You're starting to tell a story like Joseph had a dream. And his brothers hated him more when they told the dream. And here it is. He said to them, Listen to the dream that I had. Kind of this, everyone pay attention to this thing that I'm about to tell you. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. All your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I've tried to lay the foundation that these brothers did not like Joseph. Already. Already. He's told their father bad reports on them. The father has shown clear favoritism. He's walking around with this cloak, coat of many colors, an element of hum, uh, uh, lack of humility that we see with Joseph as well. He's very proud, but he now he has these dreams, and these dreams are never pro brothers. The dreams are always about how Joseph is better than them. I have not ever had a conversation with any of these brothers, nor have I had a conversation with Joseph but i can tell you just as a fellow human being that the brothers did not receive these dreams well the text even tells us that it increased their hatred towards joshua or joseph these j names are throwing me off but their hatred increased all the more with joseph so we look at verses 5 through 7 and we're like man joseph take it easy You're laying it on thick to your brothers. They don't like you. And the things that you are doing constantly makes them like you less. But Joseph doubles down. Let's go to verse 9. Then he had another dream. Spoiler, it's along the same lines. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So the first dream included just the brothers. But the second dream now includes the parents, the adults. They didn't like this. There's an element of this story here that kind of goes into humility. Or why is Joseph so adamant of laying it down that he is the chosen one, that he is his father's favorite son? Why is he telling his, his brothers who already hate him these dreams? When I've looked through this passage, one of the things that I can't get over is, is Joseph doing this pridefully? Or can he not read a room? Have you been in those situations where the room is turning and you're just like, I'm just going to keep going and tell them more about the dreams that I've had that clearly reflects our relationships? I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that the, the, the The tension here increases drastically. Again, this is a very popular story that we like to tell kids. We like to tell kids the story because there's a colorful coat. And it's kind of a neat story where Joseph has these dreams. And yeah, the dreams aren't really great for the relationship between Joseph and the brothers. But I want you to see what happens next. It was in verse 17. It says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. I'm leaning into this because this is a hard story to start trying to tell kids. Because you're really getting the human desire of hatred. You can feel how much these brothers do not like Joseph. That his mere presence... Brings them like rage. I thought about the things that like I've detested in my life. Things that I just, I don't like. But I've never been pushed to this point. But you can also see this fact of Joseph is still wanting to be around his brothers. He sees them in the distance and he wants to run towards them. But when when they see Joseph coming their way, they just, mm, it tears them up. So verse 19, here comes that dreamer. This is not a compliment. Uh, Just so we're all on the same page. They're not saying, like, here comes that dreamer, it's here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. This is not for the faint of heart. These brothers hate Joseph. Look at what they just said. Let's kill him and throw his body into one of these cisterns. Cistern here in the next picture we've got, it's just going to be a a hole in the ground. Uh, When they threw Joseph into it, he would have been unable to climb out of it. That's the purpose of it. Uh, But it would not have been a comfortable situation for Joseph. But leaning into 19 and 20, you can see the hatred in their hearts. They can't stand Joseph. The mere, the, the, the mere sight of Joseph drives them to this point of, we've got to kill this kid. He's ruining our lives. It's not worth it if he's alive. Again, this probably isn't the best vacation Bible story to tell the kids. But in verse 26 and 27, Judah has this thought. Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Again, I mean, these are lines in Scripture. It says, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. You can kind of sense the tone there, right? Of like, we got to wash our hands from this a little bit. Do we really want to go around murdering our brother and throwing him into cisterns? Or can we make some chains off of this? Our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. They're like, Judah has come through with a plan. Verse 28, so when the Midianites, merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. Stop there before you read a little bit more. We have to really think what did Joseph think was happening here? Because there's an element of like the the brotherly hard love that you can kind of get caught up into here, of like where maybe Joseph thought, oh man, they've just played the worst prank on me ever because they wanted to murder me. Uh, But then when he's brought out of the cistern, does he think that, like, there's restoration? That, like, the prank is over? That now they can go back to resuming their relationship where he tells them dreams about how he's greater than them and they'll worship him? Like, will they resume the relationship that they had? But you see that that's not what happens. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. It was difficult to find like a modern conversion rate for this, uh, but in, in the current going rate of a shekel, this would be about five dollars uh, in the kind of U.S. dollar. I point that out to say, they sold their brother for basically nothing. It wasn't about the money that they could make. It was more about getting Joseph out of there. Now we've laid the foundation for how much Jacob loved Joseph. And what they do is they take the cloak that this father has paid for, has sacrificed for, they rip it up, they pour blood on it, and they're like, sorry dad, animal, ate your favorite son. Jacob is just distraught with this. But The story of Joshua doesn't end with the Midianites. What actually happens with Joshua is that he is just sold into slavery. He finds himself with Potiphar. If you're familiar with this story, also not appropriate for children. But Potiphar gets Joseph, and Potiphar's wife is like, I want to lay with you. And Joseph's, Joseph's like, I'm good. I don't want to do that. She's like, well, if you don't do that, then you're going to jail. And then Joseph goes to jail. Not a great storyline for Joseph. Things are not going his way. We, brothers hate you. Found yourself in a cistern. They sold you into slavery. Now the person who bought you has turned you into jail, And now Joseph finds himself in prison. And there's some other elements that are happening behind the scenes that affects Joseph's life. Because the cupbearer for the Pharaoh loses favor with the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh has to find a new person. And so somebody who had been in jail told the Pharaoh about, hey, there's this guy who's been locked up, and he can translate dreams. If you've got a dream, he can tell you the meaning of that dream. And in a really weird way, the Pharaoh says, Deal. I'm interested in this prisoner who can tell us about dreams. And so Joseph finds himself in Pharaoh's court now. This is a wild story. And it's a different story that we see throughout Genesis, because this is more like a novella. There is a plot here. There are these characters. It's not a regular Genesis story. It's not intended to be either. It's intended to be read like that, where you're caught up in the actions of the characters. But there's also a looming thing that we've kind of ignored all the way because this was originally in the front part of my notes, and I'm just now remembering it, but that God is not present in the story. Think about when God interacts with Abraham. God talks to Abraham. We do not see God talking or speaking to any of these characters throughout the story. And the intent behind that is to show you that God is always working behind the scenes. That God doesn't have to speak and do these massive signs to show you that God is active and working in your life. And so that, that's really why you see God taking kind of a, a backseat role in the story. is to show you that God is working even if you can't see God working. And so Joseph finds himself in this place of prominence. And he actually starts telling the Pharaoh, hey, I'm having these dreams about a famine. Like, bad times are coming our way. And so in verse uh, 53 of chapter 41, Joseph gets it right. He's told Pharaoh about this famine that's coming, and in verse 53 it says, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. This is a crazy story. But a kid who had a a coat of many colors, was hated by his brothers, was thrown into a cistern, Debated on whether we should murder him or sell him into slavery. And now Pharaoh, now Joseph has been placed by Pharaoh in charge of all the food in the land. Again, if we read this story like a novella, like one with a plot, we can kind of see where this is going. Because in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 42, we see some old characters. Individuals that we haven't seen in a while. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Why are you twiddling your thumbs? I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And so they go. But remember in chapter 41 we learn that if you want grain, if you want food from Egypt, there's one individual that you have to go to. It's Joseph. And so the brothers they go to Egypt. And this crazy thing happens in the story is they have no idea who Joseph is. I want you to think about that for a second. There's so much time has passed that when they go into Pharaoh's court and they go in front of Joseph, they have no idea who he is. They don't recognize him. But Joseph recognized them. Verses 8 and 9 Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. When we look at these stories and we add the the grown-up or the adult element to it, one of the things that we start seeing in this story is how easy it is to hold a grudge. Just think about this for a second. The second that Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, he went right back to that boy that was in the cistern. You can feel the anger in Joseph's voice. And I didn't include it in the slides, but Joseph doesn't stop there, which is accusing them. He puts them in prison. They start experiencing a lot of the same things that Joseph experienced because of them he puts them in prison eventually he releases them but again we start adding these grown-up elements to these stories because one of the the elements that's difficult to communicate to kids is restoration there is so much restoration themes here within the story of joseph That when we make it just about a coat with many colors, we miss that God is working behind the scenes to restore this broken family. And where this restoration begins is this concept of forgiveness. This past week, I was looking for these radical examples of forgiveness. And I found this story of a guy from Utah named Chris Williams. I don't know this guy, but I read his story probably five different times this week. He was a man who... uh, was driving one evening, and he was in his Volkswagen, and a drunk driver hit his family's car. His wife was pregnant. Three of his kids were in the back seat. Immediate impact. As they were trying to to rescue this family out of the car, Chris kind of really started to assess the situation. He noticed that two of his kids were unresponsive, and his wife was as well. And in this moment, he knew that basically his family was changed forever. His wife, their unborn child was dead. Two of their children were dead as well. And what this individual decided to do is something that still, as I read through his story, blows my mind. The second that he was able to talk and communicate, he let people know, I want you to know right now that I forgive the kid that did this thought about this idea of like forgiveness and how difficult it is. Because it's so much easier to hold a grudge. It's so much easier to hold on to hatred and to be like, I just don't like that person because of this thing that happened so long ago that I kind of forget what it was, and we move on, but we're still mad at that person. It's harder work to forgive. But it's so much more freeing when we do. So Joseph brings them back. Chapter 45, the text says that Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. I don't know what he did. In a thematic way, I kind of think that he has like maybe like an Egyptian headdress on, and he takes it off, and they're like, whoa, it's Joseph. I don't know what he did to make himself known. But whatever he does, it's this moment of releasing that grudge, releasing that burden that he's been carrying around forever. And I want you to understand, too, in this context, a man crying like this was not great. This was not a sign of masculinity. This was not a sign of of look at how strong Joseph is. People would have looked at this as a weakness. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Verse 4 and 5, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This moment Joseph recognizes that God is working behind the scenes, that God is active in their lives, even though God may not be audibly speaking to them, even though God may not be delivering signs right in front of them that says, I am working in this moment. Joseph understands that God is doing something. And he continues in verse six for two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse 21 and 22. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. Do you see the the restoration work that's happening there? The one thing that Joseph cared about so much as a child was his coat of many colors. his brothers took that away from him. They ripped it up, they covered it in blood, and they pretended that he had been murdered by an animal. But in this moment where Joseph is forgiving his brothers for what they did, Joseph is also actively restoring the relationship that had been broken by giving them clothes. He is, he is bringing them together in a very symbolic way. Say, so you took from me, but I'm going to give to you. I'm going to restore this relationship that we all thought was broken. And in the passage that Jack read just a little while ago, in verse twenty-one and 20, or twenty-eight through twenty-nine. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. The text ends with Jacob saying, I can die now. My relationship with my son has been restored. What has been broken has now been fixed. And so yeah, This is another story that we like to tell to kids. It's fun to think about what kind of colors were on the coat of many colors. But it's also a story for grown-ups to remind ourselves that we are called to forgive those that hurt us. But not just to forgive, but to actively restore relationships that are broken. Sometimes it takes a long time to restore those relationships. But if we understand that God is working behind the scenes, we partner and work with God in that healing process, we too will be healed. Let's stand and sing together.